This is World Beyond War, a new podcast. Welcome. We at World Beyond War wanted to devote this podcast episode to an international look at the COVID-19 health crisis by gathering together anti-war activists from four different continents, representing some of the regions hardest hit by coronavirus, by speaking to our friends in these regions about what they're experiencing, as well as about the global politics surrounding this ordeal. This turned out to be no easy feat, and the difficulties we had setting up a real-time conversation between New York, Italy, Venezuela, Venezuela and Iran reveal how divided our world remains during this crisis. This is episode 14 of the World Beyond War podcast, and I'm Mark Elliott Stein, Director of Technology and Social Media for World Beyond War, speaking from Brooklyn, New York. I'm here with my co-host Greta Zaro, who is calling from Unadilla Community Farm in upstate New York. Hi, Greta. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the show, all. It's hard to describe the seriousness of the situation we're in today as the people of the world deal with a highly contagious fatal disease known as coronavirus, at the same time that the highly contagious fatal disease known as militarism continues to take its toll on the human race. Some of the countries represented by our guests today suffer not only from a dreadful pandemic, but also from terrible global sanctions against their own sovereign governments, unconscionably blocking and preventing medical relief and humane global partnership in dealing with this pandemic. Our hopes to conduct a real-time conversation across four continents immediately crashed because our guest Milad Omidvar in Tehran, Iran, was not able to bypass convoluted regulations due to sanctions preventing real-time video calls between USA and Iran. There are virtual walls between us, preventing us from communicating with citizens of countries we are supposed to believe we're in conflict with. If we could communicate with these countries, maybe we could help resolve these conflicts. We also had some logistical difficulties working with a real-time translator to speak to our guest Gabriel Aguirre in Caracas, Venezuela. So we're going to present what was originally planned to be a roundtable as a series of separate conversations. Thanks for bearing with us, because the more difficult it is to keep our global conversations going, the more important it is that we don't give up on doing so. Before we begin talking to our guests, I want to talk about what I've experienced in the past month in Brooklyn, New York, during the worst crisis I've ever seen in this city. As a father and a member of a large family based almost entirely in New York City, I've spent this pandemic worrying about my loved ones and my friends. Two weeks ago, the beloved family member of my son's girlfriend died in a Queens hospital from COVID-19. His name was Fernando Ferro, and he was also a father of a teenage girl, as well as a husband and a beloved member of his community. I had met him only once last year at Christmas dinner, but vividly remember his cheerful and friendly personality from that one happy dinner. I'm still shocked at this death and angry that he had to put his life at risk because, like many working people who live in Brooklyn and Queens, he did not have the luxury of full quarantining. I'm so sad for Fernando's family and for all the other families who are suffering today and who can't even meet for funerals or memorials to remember the loved ones they've lost. Thank you for sharing that, Mark, and I'm so sorry to hear of your loss, and I send my condolences to your loved ones and to Fernando's family, and we are really living in strange and unpredictable times, and 
I, I personally feel really grateful living on my farm in upstate New York where I'm you know lucky to be relatively isolated. But unlike so many others, you know, my life hasn't changed very much. Well, it feels like the sea of chaos is whirling around me. Um, but even at the same time, the virus is reaching this rural area and we've lost four members of our community here as well. So it's just incredible how wide reaching the impact is. Um, and just, you know, hoping that this passes soon. Now let's say hello to Jeannie Toski Maritani Visconti from Milano, Italy. Hello, Jeannie. Hello, glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm a journalist. I wrote a few books. I was in Yugoslavia during the war uh, from Bosnia, Herzegovina down to Kosovo during the bombing in Serbia. And now, now I'm just collaborating with the um, Associazione per un mondo senza guerre, a world without war association, and particularly with CNGNN, Comitato No Guerra Non Nato. We try to make people aware of the general situation because we would like to get out of NATO we would like to have all the bases out of Italy, and actually we have about 110 U.S. bases and NATO bases, and some of them are very, very important for NATO and U.S. because they are very capital bases for a lot of war operations. And plus we have, of course, we host two bases that contains nuclear weapons. And um, so we're trying to make people aware of all this because normally if you tell to people, you know, we want to get out of NATO, they would tell you, ah, but they're defending us. And you could reply, but who's our enemy? And they don't know what to say. This is the problem, you know, we've been raised with the idea that we have an enemy. But you know, the Cold War is over. Russians are not no longer the Soviets, you know, trying to invade Europe, which is, it was never true. But anyway, we were taught to believe it. So we try to make people understand. And what we normally do, we try to produce pamphlets and organize a conference a year. Last year, it was in Florence on the on April 7th, and we, we discussed about several matters, several topics, very important. And we were quite successful because we had, the, we had a theater and we filled it up. And that is very important. This year, of course, we had previewed to have the same conference and the same audience theater in Florence, but, <laughs> but we didn't give up. We're gonna do it online. So on the 25th of April, which is Italian Liberation Day and end of World War II, we're going to have um, a conference uh, by the title, Let's Get Rid, get, Let's Get Rid of War Virus. And uh, so that's the way we operate. We try to do our best, you know, to inform people and try to raise uh, uh, awareness about the terrible situa situation we're living in.
Uh, there's a beautiful picture, beautiful. I mean, it's very impressive. Uh, there's a, the, the main, I mean, the main poster is a picture by an Italian photo reporter, Giorgio Bianchi, that represents a street in Syria. And that is quite effective because it's breathtaking talking about wars. Mm -hmm. I also want to mention that we also were scheduling our annual conference in Ottawa, Canada. I'm not sure, Jeannie, if you were- I know, I know, that. I know. Yeah. And we are doing the same thing you are doing in taking- Exactly, exactly. Really, I, I think it's very inspiring to see how all communities are doing this at the same time and, and learning a new way to communicate. Well, so. I think we have sort of, you know, unite together and try to do things one after the other. But mm -hmm. um, we are particularly working on normal public. We want to have the normal public to understand. Not the usual people, the activists of all the groups that we all know the same story and we all discuss the same stories. Yeah. It's, not, it's beautiful to get together, but I think we have to expand. And that is what we're trying to do with the Italian public. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we are trying to do the same at World Beyond War. I know, I know, I know. Team, and that's, that's great. I want to know what's been your experience of the pandemic in Milano. You must have experienced and seen a lot or gone through a lot. Actually, we've been locked down for more than a month and a half. Only the main important, you know, um, services like, you know, food service, sub, uh, anything con connected with the food and normal survival, and medications and pharmacies and uh, medical system was okay. There's just a big problem because, you know, each region has a governor and each governor wanted to do whatever, you know, he thought it was good for, her, for, for his region. And sometimes they were in contrast with the government decisions. But altogether, it went along well. The only problem is, prob is here in Lombardy because, you know, our governor belongs to Lega, Lega, you know, Salvini's party. And uh, I must say that probably uh, he was not at the same height as his colleague, always from Lega, who's the governor of Veneto, who has been extremely capable to organize the region there. In fact, um, Lombardia is still, you know, blocked. We have no right to get out of the region. I'm not talking about going abroad. I'm just talking about get out of the region. So it's a little bit complicated now. They have to start moving a little bit on because you can't stop, you know, uh, the country for so long. The government has... Mm, practically proposed to pay about 600 euros for all workers and probably they're going to give more. But the problem in this country, it's always bureaucracy. In order to get what the government has granted, you have to go through so many papers and it's so difficult and sometimes banks are not very collaborative. Um, so I think little by little we'll get out. 
but you know we're so much afraid that this COVID-19 would start all over again because there are no precise uh, news or directions on how to behave. Okay, we have to go out masked with gloves. We have to keep away 100 meter from the other person coming along. And now it's almost, you know, ridiculous because when somebody is walking against you, you know, along along the the, the the sidewalk, he would step out. <laughs> you know, it's almost incredible. But it's okay. It's perfect. The only thing is, you know, uh, that it, everything is so uncertain. We have no news. When you you hear to a, a specialist or to a big researcher, uh, each one says something different. And some of the things they say are quite um, queer, I must say, and um, not reassuring. Yeah, I think that's the challenge that a lot of us are facing, as you said, is just the uncertainty of what will happen. When will this end? When can we come out of lockdown? And I'm afraid that uh, there, there are a lot of speculations and all that, you know, and we still don't know. We still don't have grounds, but, you know, uh, what is quite interesting is the fact that apparently um, President Trump decided to help the oldest and dearest ally, Italy. So they're going to um, support Italy in all possible ways. In fact, I was translating today an article written by Mario Di Nucci, who is one of the, you know, the most important members of our group. And he was telling about this, you know, but uh, if United States of America is issuing a new Marshall Plan, uh, last time, 75 years ago, just four years after, they asked us to have U.S. bases here. I'm wondering what they're going to ask us for, you know, a, a more financial, substantial and financial support. I don't know, might be everything, you know. Yeah. And of course, you know, as we were helped by Russia, by China and by Cuba, um, what are we going to do? Send them out, uh, <laughs> refuse their help? They came and nobody else was helping us, not even Europe. Yeah. What, Europe at that point was making fun of us because of the, we were closing up. And now they're following the Italian protocol. It's a very peculiar situation. I think that in a very short time, we, the activists, probably will reach uh, a certain knowledge that will allow us to denounce certain facts. But now it's too early. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we're not allowed to go out more than 200 meters from our house. I'm a lucky person because uh, due to my age, I should be closed in, completely locked. But I have a huge dog, so I'm allowed to go out three times a day. Right. But there are always difficulties. You know, people don't find the situation easy. Mm -hmm. It's always very difficult. And I'm so much afraid, for example, that um, in a very short time, um, 
if this money doesn't go to normal people, and you know, people without working a couple of months, they run out of money. Yeah. They're running out of money. And you know, they won't have you know, uh, money to buy food. And right. this is uh, dangerous. I think there's a common protocol, a Western protocol. I don't know. They, they, you know, they pronounce they're going to do things. They sign documents, but but from the moment they sign the document and the moment they just give, you know, what they promised in their document to people, there's a certain distance. Yeah, as you said, very bogged down in bureaucracy and paperwork. Exactly. You know, uh, when you're hungry, you don't need a paper. Based on what you've said, Jeannie, the protocol there is dominated by bureaucracy. Here, Iowa protocol might be more dominated by raw greed. <laughs> um, you know, there's always something good when you're in the worst. The air, the air normally here is quite polluted, and finally we had clear, pure air. Um, the vegetation is fantastic because it seems to breathe. And, uh, and then we have the dolphins in the Laguna in Venice, for example, because finally, you know, nature was coming back. And that was the positive case. Now, luckily, with this lockdown, um, we can see the difference, you know, because it's slowing down little by little. But it's still very strong here in Lombardy. People reacted quite well. Next, we're going to hear from Gabriel Aguirre of the Committee for International Solidarity and Struggle for Peace, COSI, in Caracas, Venezuela. Thank you to Doug Tyler for real-time translation to help us connect with Gabriel. Gabriel powerfully shares the story of the impact of sanctions on Venezuela and the amazing solidarity that has emerged among Venezuelans and between Venezuela and other countries like Cuba, Russia, and China that have provided much-needed relief during this coronavirus pandemic. Venezuela's resiliency is truly inspiring. Let's hear from Gabriel. Muy buenos días nuevamente a todos, agradecidos por la oportunidad de poder conversar y compartir con ustedes, especialmente a Greta que nos ha hecho la invitación. Uh, well, thanks again to everybody for this opportunity to communicate, especially to uh, Greta who's put together this opportunity for Sin lugar a duda, como ustedes señalan, eh, estamos en una situación que es novedosa para la humanidad. Nunca antes habíamos estado frente a una pandemia que afectara a todos los países del mundo por igual. This is really a new moment in history for everybody where we've never had something like this, a pandemic that affects everyone across the world equally. Nosotros somos una organización eh, que trabaja tres áreas. El campo de la solidaridad internacional, el campo de la lucha por la paz y el campo de los derechos humanos. They are um, an organization that is working in three different areas right now. Uh, they're working towards the international solidarity, towards uh, peace, and towards the protection of human rights. Great. Nosotros tenemos presencia, nuestra organización tiene estatus consultivo ante el Consejo de Derechos Humanos de Naciones Unidas, the United Nations. And they are um, a consulting organization for the uh, United Nations. 
We recognize that this virus is impacting different countries in different ways, and we want to talk a little bit more about the various global political factors that might be impacting your country's response. Gabrielle, how is your government handling this crisis? How have the sanctions in Venezuela impacted and heightened the crisis? Como decíamos en un principio, el tema de la pandemia del COVID-19 es un tema que ha afectado a toda la humanidad, a todos los países. To begin with, this, this COVID-19 epidemic is something that is affecting all, all countries and all peoples. Pero no todos los países tienen las mismas condiciones para enfrentar la situación. But we don't all have the same conditions with which uh, we, we confront this pandemic. Y eso particularmente es la situación de Venezuela. Es decir, Venezuela es un país que durante los últimos años, específicamente desde el 2014, con la orden ejecutiva firmada por el presidente Obama, se han venido aplicando distintas medidas coercitivas unilaterales. Normalmente se llama como sanciones. And this is very much the case in Venezuela, particularly does, uh, since the year 2014, when Obama signed an executive order uh, taking unilateral uh, economic action against Venezuela, which we refer to as sanctions. Uh, we, 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 we lost we for the sanctions. Our country lost uh, around 103,000 million of dollars from, uh, of our economy. Okay? Y esto particularmente dificulta las posibilidades de atender correctamente la epidemia en el país. This, of course, makes it much more difficult to handle this crisis appropriately. Venezuela fue uno de los países que tomó, uno de los primeros países en tomar las medidas para impedir el brote de la pandemia. Venezuela was one of the first countries um, to take steps to um, lessen the impact of the virus. Desde el 16 de marzo, Venezuela cerró todos los aeropuertos del país, cerró las fronteras del país y ordenó una cuarentena o el aislamiento, el confinamiento de toda la población. So the 16th of March, uh, Venezuela closed all its borders, closed all airports for international travel and um, put in a, a stay-at-home order. Seguidamente a eso, se activaron todos los protocolos para el tema de la atención de la salud del país. Es decir, Venezuela inició una jornada de despistaje masivo, es decir, de aplicación de pruebas del COVID-19 a todos los ciudadanos en el país. A los ciudadanos, no todos los ciudadanos, a los ciudadanos sospechosos de poder tener la enfermedad del COVID-19. And then since then, Venezuela has been implementing its health protocols and um, doing widespread testing for all people who, who need it, who were suspected of uh, being infected. Por ejemplo, Yo estuve viajando a Ginebra, Suiza. Estuve en Europa desde el, 9, desde el primero de marzo hasta el 15 de marzo. Yo regresé al país justo el día en que se ordenó la cuarentena y se cerraron los aeropuertos del país. Entonces, habiendo regresado yo a Venezuela, a los tres días de haber regresado, personal médico de Venezuela y de Cuba me visitaron en mi casa para identificarme y hacerme la prueba a ver si yo efectivamente tenía COVID-19. So he had been traveling uh, in Geneva, 
Switzerland from the 1st to 15th of March, and he got back just in time, just before they closed the airports. And within three days, um, medical professionals from the Cuban and Venezuelan government visited him at his home and, and tested him. Y así, ese protocolo de despistaje masivo, de aplicación de pruebas, se hizo con todos los viajeros, es decir, con todas las personas que viajaron antes del cierre de las fronteras de Venezuela, con el objetivo de impedir y detener inmediatamente la propagación del virus. And he understands that this protocol has been carried out with all travelers who had been tra traveling and returning back to Venezuela within this time period. Adicionalmente, el gobierno tomó unas medidas en el tema social para proteger la seguridad social del pueblo venezolano. Uh, the government is also uh, taking steps to protect the, the social security of the country. Reafirmó el decreto de inamovilidad laboral. Es decir, ninguna empresa puede despedir a ningún trabajador en medio de la pandemia. So one of the steps they've taken uh, has been to pass an order saying that no, no companies are allowed to uh, fire anyone during this, this pandemic. Declaró el, la suspensión en el pago de todos los arrendamientos o los alquileres de, la casa, de las casas para las personas. And there's also, um, they're not, uh, no one's allowed to charge rent, no one has to pay rent during this crisis either. Adicionalmente de esto, ordenaron a todas las empresas de comunicación, de telefonía, de internet y de servicios en general, a suspender el pago de todas las rentas de los servicios durante seis meses, que es el tiempo que se hizo todo este decreto. Telecommunications companies are also required to suspend uh, billing people for six months during this crisis. Adicionalmente a esto, se ordenó inmediatamente proveer de alimentos a la población que tenga mayor vulnerabilidad en general. Yo voy a colocar un ejemplo, eh, muy sencillo, para que se vea que no es mentira. Esto es una bolsa de comida que entrega el gobierno. A mí me la entregaron el día de ayer. Esta bolsa de comida fue entregada a toda la población y eso debe hacerse cada 15 días para ayudar a que la gente pueda tener un medio y una forma de sustentarse en esta situación. Usted dijo que lo están entregando a todo, toda la población o solo a las poblaciones vulnerables. A toda, a toda la población, a la población vulnerable le entregan mayores cantidades de comida, pero esta comida es entregada a toda la población en el país. So, uh, they're also, um delivering food bags to people's homes every two weeks, such as the book, the bag that he'd received. And I guess there's additional uh, food being delivered to uh, communities that are considered high, highly vulnerable. Adicionalmente, se tomó una medida donde el gobierno asume la nómina y el pago de los trabajadores de las pequeñas y las medianas empresas en el país. So the government is also... Um, paying when needed employees of smaller and medium-sized uh, businesses. Es decir, se han tomado un conjunto de medidas en el campo de la salud, en el terreno económico, con el objetivo de enfrentar una situación donde Venezuela tiene mayor vulnerabilidad por las medidas coercitivas unilaterales. Es decir, por las sanciones contra el país. Estados, el gobierno de Estados Unidos, en este momento, 
está perseguido. Todos los barcos que traen gasolina al suelo. The government, as you can see, is um, implementing a package of uh, actions, both in the economic sphere and in the health sphere, to get through this crisis, in spite of all the difficulties that they're going through um, with the sanctions and uh, you know, the actions taken, basically persecuting uh, ships that try to uh, transport gasoline to and from Venezuela. Afortunadamente, Venezuela ha tenido la solidaridad de Cuba que envió medicamentos del interferón Alfa 2B a Venezuela en grandes cantidades, además de numerosos expertos para todo el tema de la atención del COVID-19. And thankfully, Venezuela has been supported by the solidarity of uh, Cuba that has sent them large amounts of medicine and also uh, experts who are knowledgeable about this uh, pandemia. Pandemic. La solidaridad de China que ha enviado cargamentos con medicinas en aviones a nivel a, a Venezuela con el objetivo también de poder atender la situación. China has also been supporting Venezuela um, in acts of solidarity, also uh, airlifting medicine to Venezuela. Y Rusia que ha enviado equipamiento médico al país. And Russia has been sending medical equipment to the country. Afortunadamente, Venezuela hoy solo tiene 259 casos a nivel nacional. 259. So, thankfully, Venezuela only has at this time 259 cases. La cantidad de casos por día no supera a los 7 u 8 casos por día. And right now, they're seeing a, a flat line of about 78 cases per day. Pero esto ha sido por la acción inmediata, oportuna y eficiente que ha tomado el gobierno nacional. This slow rate of increase is a direct result of the comprehensive action the government's been taking. Del gobierno, fíjate, este tema ha permitido, inclusive, se ha traducido en que hoy muchos venezolanos que emigraron de Venezuela, que fueron a Colombia, que fueron a Ecuador, que fueron a Perú, que fueron a Brasil, Estén regresando hoy a Venezuela. And so many of the people that had left Venezuela are starting to come back. He sees this as a direct result of, of what the government's doing right now. Que fueron inclusive a Estados Unidos. Quieren regresar a Venezuela. Even people that had gone to the United States wanting to come back. No se puede explicar que una persona que se va del país huyendo de la dictadura huyendo del hambre, huyendo de la miseria, que es lo que se dice sobre Venezuela en el mundo, hoy quiere regresar a Venezuela. And it doesn't make a lot of sense that, you know, in the media they say that people are running away from dictatorship and oppression and hunger, and how, how do you explain that now those same people are wanting to go back? En Estados Unidos, específicamente en Florida, mil personas han llenado una encuesta solicitando que el gobierno de Venezuela pueda traerlos nuevamente al país. Gente que quedó varada, producto del cierre de los aeropuertos, eh, producto de la situación, están en Estados Unidos y quieren regresar a Venezuela con su familia. El gobierno de Estados Unidos ha impedido que los aviones de Venezuela vayan a Florida a buscar a esos venezolanos y a traerlos al país. So in Florida alone, there's uh, over a thousand Venezuelans who have 
filled out requests to be able to return to Venezuela now that they're stuck with the airports being shut down. And the United States government has been making it even more difficult for them to get back. It's not been allowing Venezuelan airplanes to go there and pick them up. Eso, eso demuestra la irracionalidad del gobierno y de la administración de Donald Trump. This is an example of the irrationality of uh, the government of Donald Trump. Por ahora eso. I'd like to look not only at how our governments are reacting during this crisis, but also how individual people that we each observe are because this is not only something that our governments are dealing with, but what each of us are dealing with. Bueno, eso es un, un aspecto importante eh, que hay que destacar de, en Venezuela, del pueblo. Particularmente con esta situación, se han expresado muchas cosas importantes. ¿no? Primer, en primer lugar, la solidaridad ¿okay? que se ha tenido entre todos los miembros de nuestra comunidad. Uh, he, he'd like to highlight that this is a very important area, especially in Venezuela, that he's noticing um, definitely a, a level of solidarity amongst all people, all members of the community. Solidarity amongst people. En segundo lugar, la disciplina. Es decir, nuestro pueblo ha sido muy disciplinado en acatar todas las normas que se han dictado del uso del tapabocas, de el, la distancia que se debe conservar entre las personas, de no violentar la cuarentena. Also, this is uh, highlighting uh, the discipline of the Venezuelan people that uh, people are falling through and really using the, the masks and implementing social distancing and quarantine. Por ejemplo, cuando hablo de la disciplina y hablo de la disposición de la gente a trabajar para enfrentar la situación en nuestro país, aquí en mi comunidad, por ejemplo, las mujeres están produciendo los tapabocas, las mascarillas para la población y eso se entrega de forma gratuita. La solidaridad que tiene el venezolano de poder organizarse para producir esas mascarillas y poder entregarla para que todos dispongan de mascarillas. And we're seeing really the willingness of, of the Venezuelan people to collaborate, to help out during this time. Uh, for example, in his town, um, women are producing masks and just distributing them for free. They're just doing what they can to make sure that everybody has access to those, they, they can use them. Wonderful. Y que es un aspecto interesante, porque producto de las sanciones, con los fondos que están retenidos en Citibank, en Estados Unidos, Venezuela pudiera importar a nuestro país 120 millones de mascarillas. Cuatro veces lo que tiene nuestra población. Nosotros somos 30 millones de habitantes. Solo con esos fondos, Venezuela pudiera importar cuatro veces las mascarillas para cada persona en el país. Es decir, Venezuela tiene los recursos económicos para hacerlo, pero las sanciones lo impiden. So we're seeing that, you know, the, the Venezuelan people is doing this, uh, they've I guess they've um, accustomed themselves to the effects. They're wanting to, to survive with the effects of the sanctions. So, for example, the, the money that is held up in Citibank right now could buy four times the masks that they need for their population. So they, Venezuela has the resources, the financial resources, to, to buy these materials, but because they're being taken away from them, because they don't have access to them, uh, the people are figuring out how to adapt.
For those that aren't familiar, can he explain a little bit more what he means by the money that's held up in that bank? Sí. Venezuela tiene en el Citibank cerca de 247 millones de dólares, una cifra cercana aproximadamente, ¿ok? Ese dinero fue un dinero, unos fondos retenidos del país que forman parte de las cuentas bancarias de la República, de las cuentas bancarias de la Nación. Y Citibank decidió unilateralmente, producto de las sanciones, bloquear ese dinero. Es decir, no permitirle al gobierno de Venezuela, que es quien tiene la autoridad para poder disponer de ese dinero, que es de la República, que es de los venezolanos, Citibán decidió congelar los fondos, bloquear e imposibilitar la movilización de esos fondos. So, the Republic has, of Venezuela has about 247 million dollars in a Citibank account that the bank, after the sanctions, unilaterally decided to freeze. Acto seguido, como resultado de eso, siempre se dijo, ese dinero lo vamos a bloquear para impedir que la dictadura en Venezuela utilice ese dinero en corrupción. Eso fue el discurso del gobierno de Estados Unidos. And theoretically, so when the government, the United States government was uh, passing these sanctions, the reasoning behind um, freezing the, the accounts was that this money would be lost to the corruption in Venezuela. Hace cuatro días, el gobierno estadounidense ordenó dirigir los fondos del Citibank de Venezuela, el dinero de Venezuela, a la Reserva Federal de Estados Unidos. Four days ago, the United States government transferred the Venezuelan government's funds from its Citibank account to the Federal Reserve of the United States. Adicionalmente a eso, Venezuela tenía en Citibank, eso es el dinero líquido, el dinero en efectivo, pero Venezuela tenía cerca de 1.100 millones de dólares en oro venezolano, también en manos de Citibank. Uh, they also, in addition to the, the liquid cash reserves that were in that bank, the Citibank account, there was also 1.1 billion dollars of gold that was also uh, seized. And Trump is calling for that to be transferred to the U.S. Federal Reserve to basically steal it from Venezuela, is what he's saying. Incredible. Eso lo hicieron hace, hace cuatro días. Sí, ahora. Cuando yeah. más necesita el dinero Venezuela, cuando más dinero necesita Venezuela, Estados Unidos, el gobierno de Estados Unidos, se roba el dinero del país. So yeah, now that the, the Venezuelan government needs it the most, that now suddenly Trump is deciding to, uh, to steal this, this money. Mira, mucho se dice en el mundo de que Estados Unidos se comporta como el sheriff del mundo, como el policía del mundo. En mi opinión, el gobierno y la administración de Donald Trump se comportan hoy como el principal criminal del mundo, el principal extorsionador del mundo. Es un estado gangsteril la forma y el comportamiento del gobierno de Donald Trump. Many people say that the United States acts like the sheriff of the world, the world police. In my opinion, the government, the administration of Donald Trump, acts like the number one criminal in the world, the number one extorter of the world, a gangster state based on its behavior. What are you doing to continue your anti-war message during this time? Nosotros estamos evidentemente en una cuarentena obligatoria 
para todos. Eh, eso dificulta el trabajo en las calles, eso dificulta el trabajo con la gente en su casa. Eh, es complejo porque nosotros trabajamos en el ámbito de los derechos humanos y nuestra acción debería estar directamente relacionada con poder garantizar los derechos humanos en esta circunstancia de la, población, de la población venezolana, en muchas áreas. Por ejemplo, en la frontera, una de las áreas más sensibles. Uh, of course, the work is more difficult now with the, the quarantine that is required, uh, particularly the type of work that's uh, focused with human rights. They really ought to be out there in the streets, um, connecting with people, talking with people in order to be able to do their work, especially in the, at the borders. But this is, of course, difficult with the obligatory quarantine. Esto nos ha obligado a readaptar o adaptar nuevamente los procesos de trabajo y sobre todo de concientización de nuestro pueblo y de los pueblos en general frente a los peligros de la guerra que hoy transcurren en el mundo. So they're needing to adapt the work that they're doing, how, how exactly the, the protocols that they follow in order to continue to put out their message and to change the way people see war and, and see, see these issues. Por ejemplo, ayer fue el Día de Acción Mundial de Solidaridad con Venezuela, el 19 de abril. Ayer tuvimos virtualmente tres videoconferencias con distintos países, con Brasil, con Argentina, con Colombia, con Puerto Rico, eh, con España, con Suiza, eh, con varios países en general, ¿no? para hablar, y uno de los temas que trabajamos dentro de una de las videoconferencias era guerra imperialista contra Venezuela, una amenaza a la paz mundial. So yesterday, the 19th of April, was uh, actually the International Solidarity Day, or Day of Solidarity with Venezuela, and they had three different uh, video conferences with people from a number of different countries. Um, and one of the main messages they were talking about was reminding people during this crisis that the imperialist war against Venezuela is a threat to peace everywhere in the world. Nunca antes tuvimos un mejor momento para hablar a la humanidad y denunciar los peligros de la guerra y lo que significa la continuidad del sistema imperialista y del sistema capitalista como ahora. Por eso tenemos una consigna, que nos quedamos en casa pero no nos callamos. So there's never been a better moment to uh, raise people's awareness and denounce war, imperialism, and capitalism. And so they have this saying that uh, you stay in house, but don't stay quiet. In conclusion, we want to express our solidarity with Milad Omivar, political activist, religious thinker, former student activist, and journalist who is based in Tehran, Iran. Due to sanctions, Zoom is banned in Iran, and despite efforts to connect to Milad, our connection failed. And while we were saddened not to be able to connect in real time with Milad, this incident reminds us of the devastating impact of U.S. sanctions on Iran, which prevent much-needed medicines and essential supplies from reaching the Iranian people. We want to thank Jeannie and Gabrielle for sharing your powerful stories about your work as anti-war activists and for giving us insight into how your communities are grappling with the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. From all of us at World Beyond War, we send a message of peace, solidarity, and well-being. 
Just imagine the medical supplies that could be purchased and the lives that could be saved if the $2 trillion a year spent on war was redirected to vital human and environmental needs. Thanks for joining us. much for listening to today's podcast. Our podcast is now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Don't forget to give us a rating. Visit worldbeyondwar.org to learn more about the social and environmental impacts of the war machine and get involved in the movement for a world beyond war.